Today we're talking about being generous to Jesus, and I wanted to start with something funny uh, because, you know, last week we had this awesome pentatonics version of Little Drummer Boy, and, um, you know, it's so sweet, speaking of generous to Jesus, because he's like, I have no gift to bring, but I'll play my drum for him. And I just thought, you know, um, once you have a baby, uh, the thought of uh, a drummer boy coming. Um, so this meme I cracked up on this week. I appreciate the thought, but I just got Jesus to sleep. Probably a little more how it looked in the nativity scene. Um, let's pray. Father, I, I'm asking as we open up your word that you'd open up our hearts and open up our eyes to see you that we'd all finish this time uh, experiencing your presence and walking closer with you and more in line with what you have called us to in Jesus' name. Um, as we think about this thought of being generous to Jesus, I'm reminded of, of, of two men in the 1800s. The first had just experienced tragedy in his life. His mother died when he was a child. And so he was living in a widower's home. And his father uh, in his city had climbed a tower. He was uh, installing lights on this tower and slipped and tragically fell to his death. And so this young man named Walter was an orphan. And you know, he could have, as so many go to when they experience tragedy, gone to numerous different vices. He even had the, the chance to go and move to a different state and be taken care of and, um, you know, just, just all things given to him. But he had this sense of calling and destiny. And so he moved to this city called Round Rock. And in that city, he gave himself to service. He ended up getting involved in this tiny little Baptist church that had started just several decades earlier. This is in the 1800s. And because of the hardship of his life, he wanted to give back to children, as that had been the traumatic time for his life. So he ended up getting involved in schools. He ended up getting involved in, in the school district and became the, the, the president of it. He ended up having a, a, a son, and that, this son was very touched by his life. Uh, this son was raised in the same church that, that Walter had gone to and given his life to Jesus as, as an early uh, young man. This church was started by another young man who made a sacrificial decision to Jesus. Uh, he was living in New York. His name was Pastor Robert Toffolo, and, and Pastor Robert uh, had all the comforts uh, of, of, and was an up-and-coming minister, but instead of, of having a, a, a large and successful church, he felt a call to go and preach in the wilderness of Texas. And so he moved uh, back before Texas was even a state, and he, he went to the wilderness to preach to the Native Americans and the few settlers in a very dangerous area. And uh, I've seen the pictures of the first baptism in Brushy Creek. Uh, that first baptism happened right off the ranch I grew up on. The, the creek actually goes in it. And um, so this is where Walter gave his life to Jesus. This is where his son, Lewis, gave his life to Jesus. Lewis uh, was very inspired by his father as an orphan. And so Lewis ended up deciding to, to try to give back to children as well. Lewis ended up being very successful, making, making millions of dollars and, and actually 
putting up the world's biggest sign at the time. He went on, um, though his greatest achievement wasn't a sign or wasn't, wasn't uh, he was the, the um, world's youngest Chevy dealer. Um, he goes on to be the mayor of the city, but his greatest achievement wasn't all that. He remembered his father as an orphan, and so he wanted to give back. So he gave away more than he kept. He gave away his land and started the Texas Baptist Children's Home, which became this massive orphanage that's still there today. I often think about these, these men and if they wouldn't have made this decision because they ended up pioneering the, the little church I grew up in, the city I grew up in. I got saved in that little Baptist church and I actually grew up in Lewis Henna's home. He was my grandfather. And so to think of an orphan all the way to a mayor who started a children's home and gave his life, he was ahead of his time, he gave his life for, for orphans, he gave his life for racial reconciliation and brought uh, different ethnicities together. He gave his life for the poor and he gave his life for actual church reconciliation. So many of the values that we started all peoples with and the purposes of it were laid in that foundation back in the 1800s. You know, uh, generosity begets a generational impact. Let me say that again. When you're generous to Jesus, it doesn't impact just the people around you. It lasts for generations. So now in 2023, I'm experiencing and you're experiencing. I'll never forget the girl that came up to me in college and she didn't know me, she didn't know my family, and she said, God is speaking to me today that the things that your forefathers did years ago are coming to fruition in your life today. And I thought, you have no idea what has happened in my family throughout the generations. And that is the fascinating thing that I wanted to start off with because you might not have ever seen this in Matthew chapter two. It says this, Starting in verse one, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. What you probably have thought of before is, well, that's really interesting that, you know, here is the star arising in Jerusalem and why in the world are some people way off in Babylon, why are they seeing it and going on the journey? What you might not realize is that scholars believe that these magi are coming from the same line that Daniel established in the Old Testament. You gotta understand in 586 BC, so 586 years before Jesus was born, a young man was taken captive. Basically, he was taken away from his family. Maybe he was an orphan like my great-grandfather. But he made a similar decision. He made a decision instead of feeling sorry for himself, Daniel, and you've heard these names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, decided to live generously. They decided to live for God. And they, they lived a pure life. They lived a set-apart life, denying themselves a lot of the, the pagan rituals and the sensuality of Babylonian culture. And they started a, a group within what you look back in Daniel and see is these were the wise men. These were the magi. And it says of Daniel and his friends that they were 10 times as wise and 10 times as understanding. What we know is that Daniel never went back to Jerusalem. 
When Cyrus came and said, you can go back, King Cyrus came and said, you can go back and rebuild the temple. What we know is Daniel stayed in Babylon and that set up a sect of wise men who were forever awaiting the coming of the Messiah. And so 586 years later, they knew because they understood the Bible that says things like this. Let me just give you some verses. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes into the earth. There are words to the ends of the world. In heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. What they knew is that God is going to reveal himself and his mysteries through what happens in the skies. Here's Genesis 1. Listen to this. Let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times. Now, before you freak out here, uh, let me just tell you, uh, I'm not espousing uh, astrology. Don't be into that. That's there. there is spirituality that comes from Jesus, and then there's spirituality that comes from darkness. So I'm not saying, I'm actually saying, please don't, because the Bible's very clear, don't see, don't, don't go and, and see uh, astrology or, or, or read horoscopes. Don't go to a, um, what are they called? Fortune teller, seer, there's another name. Psychic, that's it. Uh, when the psychic hotline comes up on TV, change the channel, please. Um, but what I am saying is, listen, even going to the New Testament, watch this, from Luke 21. There will be signs, this is talking about the coming of the Messiah. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Uh, 21 verse 11, there will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs in heaven. Matthew 24, talking about the same thing. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. What am I trying to explain? What I'm trying to explain is that wise men, wise women, study the scripture, live according to the Bible, and they're prepared for when Jesus wants to do something. Are you following me? And so that was this group of set-apart people that generations earlier, some young men had made some righteous decisions, and it set up these wise men 586 years later to see the star and go, oh, that is the star of the Messiah. We're going on this journey. Absolutely amazing. It says this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So the wise men actually knew, oh, it's going to be in Bethlehem. Uh, here's, let me just say a, a, a quick note on this. Um, God chooses specific places to do specific things. God chooses specific places to do specific things. Uh, for some reason, God chose our piece of land on the 8 Freeway for us to be a light 
to the city, and, that, and that's what we're contending to do. And you guys, if you were here with us last week, you saw just uh, so many people coming to this Christmas production to hear the good news of Jesus, and so many people responding and giving their lives to Jesus. Like, God just chooses different places. We're not the only place, but it is a place where God has chosen. He's chosen San Diego in this hour. He's chosen, even he's given us a place. Uh, I think back to something else that happened in history, much more recent history, but still distant for us in the 1700s. I've been deeply impacted by the Moravians. They're a, a group in what is now Germany, founded by Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Uh, if you're looking for an original name, parents, uh, Ludwig von Zinzendorf, or Zinzendorf. Um, uh, a, a, a young, wealthy aristocrat, uh, aristocrat that um, that was taken by a, 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 a in, in a moment by this picture of the crucified Jesus, and the caption said, "All this I've done for you. What will you do for me?" His heart was pierced. You know, in, in a moment, God can use anything to pierce our hearts. And then the question is, how do we respond? He decided to respond with his life, and he said, what I have is, is I have this generational land that's been passed down to me. Instead of just keeping it for myself, why don't I open it up? And so he began to open it up his land in a time where there were many persecuted refugees, and they came and started living on his property. And they began seeking the Lord together, and they were from different nations, and they were from different religious backgrounds, but he promoted unity. Anytime we promote unity, God, God's blessing comes. Uh, and so he promoted unity, and they started praying, and they had a visitation of the Lord in the late 1700s. It led to a prayer meeting that would last 100 years. The Moravians were a small group. There were about 500 people, but they ended up per capita sending out more missionaries to the nations of the world than any other group. It's something we feel called to do. It's something we feel called, and, and so many of our foundations are like the Moravian Church. Do you know that they still exist? And they're still planting churches 300 years later. It's amazing how God will, 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 will choose a spot. He'll, he'll, choose a, he'll use a people to do something extraordinary. In fact, it's crazy because Audrey, one of our pastors, my, my assistant, her sister serves in Hernhut. That's the place that he started. She actually is at that base in Hernhut doing missions now. So we have a, a, a deep tie to that ourselves. Uh, whenever someone is generous to Jesus, it never just stops with them. It never just stops with their family and their friends. It impacts their city, but it will have a generational impact. The, the decisions that Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf and his friends, the, the Moravians did, is still impacting people today. And I get so excited about that. It says this, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I might go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen, it went and rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country 
by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother to escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time frame he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I mean, first of all, this obviously makes me think of the, the, the challenges and pain that are going on in Israel right now. I mean, you wonder why there's always so much trauma and there's always so much pain right there. It's because the enemy knows, he, he hates, that the, the devil hates Israel. He hates the Jewish people. Why? Because the Messiah came from them. Why? Because our scriptures come from them. Why? Because our worship came from them. And why? Because they will welcome our, the Messiah back. He actually says that. But let me just take a moment. And how do we apply this to our life today? When you read scripture, you don't just read it cerebrally. You don't just read it with your mind. You always want to say, God, search my heart. You always want to say, like, God, what, what are you speaking to me? Because I, I, I want to have a, a pure heart. I want, to have, uh, I want to be conformed into your image. So here's what I did this week. I, I made out this chart saying, am I more like Herod or am I more like the wise men? Okay? And a lot of times we can be like, oh, of course, I'm more like a wise man. I'm not like this king that's all. But let, let's just look at this. And I want you to look at this chart today and just ask yourself if you, if you really examined your life, am I, am I more like the wise men or am I more like Herod? Because obviously the wise men get to meet Jesus. The wise men, they were excited about the coming reign of this new king. Herod dreaded another king coming and someone else being in charge. I, I remember as a young man being like, I really don't wanna surrender my life to Jesus because I, I really wanna do what I wanna do. So like when Jesus shows up, are we excited about him being the king or do we like, no, I wanna be the king. I wanna be in control of my life. Are you more like the wise men? Or are you more like Herod? Okay, here's point two. Uh, they made huge sacrifices to honor Jesus. I mean, think about that. These are wise men. These are the, the ruling class in Babylon, and they go on this dangerous, long journey to a hateful king. They sacrifice time. They sacrifice talent. They sacrifice treasure. Herod only thought about what he would lose when Jesus showed up. Right, so is, so is our relationship with Jesus more about what I'm going to give him, or, you know, let's just kind of measure how... Am I going to lose? Am I, am I in control? Am I going to win? Okay, let's keep going. The wise men, they gave extravagantly to Jesus. They didn't show up with a box of pampers, some baby power, you know, a little rattle. No, they opened up gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? They, you know, it's like opening up your savings account and handing the keys to your Tesla. And, you know, this is what they were doing. He cared more about keeping what he had. He only took from others 
and hurt other people and was self-centered? Am, am I a believer who blesses and adds to other people's lives or am I only taking and thinking about myself? Uh, they were examples of generosity for the generation and generations to come. The wise men are actually the ones who established this thought even before we talked about St. Nicholas in Turkey, we talked about him two weeks ago, but they actually were the ones who established this thought of gift giving at Christmas time. It's the wise men. He only took from his generation and serves as a negative warning for future generations. Let's look at the last slide. The wise men told the truth, right? They said that we're here, we're here for the king. And he said, Herod goes, yes, I want to worship him. It's a total lie. Am I, am I a truthful person? Um, the wise men, they actually studied scriptures and world events and understood what God was doing. Is this you? Are you a person who looks at the news on one hand and, and looks at it in scripture and you're studied, you understand, you understand the Bible, you understand what God is doing from Genesis to Revelation. Like we, like no other generation, did you know that 500 years ago, like people didn't, for, for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, people didn't have scripture. Do you know that? And now like we have it in our pocket at all times. Every one of you, uh, probably every one of you in this room has scripture in your pocket all the time. Are we deeply grateful that we are a generation, I mean, and we're the first generation to just have it in our pocket all the time. Are we deeply grateful that scripture has that much? And, and you can look at any translation, right? It's crazy in any language, it's amazing. Are we deeply grateful and are we diving into that? Uh, lastly, we're willing to go on a long, challenging journey to honor Jesus. Herod expected people to come to him and stayed in his comfort zone. I think about that for American Christianity. Is it just, you know, it's convenient when it's convenient to me and maybe I'll turn on the TV and catch a little, a little sip of Jesus, you know, versus these guys. It was their life. They risked everything. This is who we want to be. So as we turn the corner here, because we want to spend, we're going we're gonna to culminate in worship, and we love doing this, doing this crazy Christmas offering. Why? Why do we do this at Christmas time? Um, what you notice about the wise men's decision to go on a, a journey of generosity is that it culminates in the greatest reward of seeing Jesus. Have you ever thought of that? Like the wise men saw Jesus. The Bible says this, the pure in heart will see God. Uh, a lot of times pastors don't like talking about money. I really like it. Um, and obviously not because we're living high on the hog around here. <laughs> um, I like it because the Bible says the pure in heart will see God. And there's few things that cloud our hearts and control our lives like money. Listen to what scripture says. It says this. It says, don't store up. Don't store up, this is Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Say treasures in heaven, church. Did you know there's two places you can have treasure? There's two choices you have in life with money. One is you have treasures 
in heaven or you have treasures in earth. The Bible says, don't store it up here on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Steph, can you hand me that string? Um, Marcus, could you grab one end of this string right here? And Hudson, can you grab the other? And um, this might be a little challenging here. Oh man, this is not going how I wanted it to go. Okay. Uh, Hudson, can you can you grab that string and just walk it to uh, walk it to that end right here? Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is how our lives can be sometimes it's a little messy. Um, can you take take this? Oh, it's like tied to a wheel and yeah. Anyway, um, usually when I do this, the string is not all a mess. Marcus, can you walk to the wall and like like you're trying to walk through the wall? Right there. Jesus did it. The Bible said we'd do greater things than him. Um, so look at this. This string right here represents your life, okay? And um, if this was really your life, right, you need a pastor to help you untangle your life. Uh, um, so picture, put the string against the wall. Picture this string going through the wall and all the way down would hit Ocean Beach, you'd go out into the ocean and you'd keep going to Asia. Imagine this string, it hits the wall and it keeps going, it goes all the way to East County, it goes all the way to Texas, then goes to Florida, then goes into the Atlantic, goes all the way to Europe and the string connects and keeps going. That's how long you're gonna live. This, you see this black marker? This is your life on earth. That's how long your life is on earth. This, all the way around the world, is how long you're gonna live. Where do you want treasure? <laughs> Where do you want your treasure? I'm a lot more interested in storing up treasure, not for 30 years, but 300 million years. That's how long you're gonna live, right? Um, thank you guys, you can drop it. Let me finish by reading this last verse. It says this, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. It's not life more than food, the body more than clothes. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, and add a single hour to your life? And, and, and do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God closes the, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagan world runs after these things, and your father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me finish with one story. I have lunch. I wasn't planning this, but I have lunch with a friend who's been in this church for years, years. He's like my oldest friend in, in San Diego. And, and this friend... Um, for years, they had financial challenges. Like they'd it'd be between jobs, their family would be struggling. And so I show up to meet with him and he has on a new uniform. And I'm like, hey, I had no idea about this job. Congratulations. And he starts talking about what's going on. And he goes, yeah, I'm actually trying to get my wife to quit her job. 
I'm like, why? He goes, because we don't need it. And I said, really? And, and I, I said, that's amazing. Congratulations. And, and he, he said, it actually has something to do with what you challenged me on years ago. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I have no idea what he's about to say. Uh, I've known him for years. He goes, years ago, you challenged me to tithe, to, to, to give the 10% to Jesus. And he said, uh, we hit rock bottom, and we realized this is a great time to start tithing. Uh, we don't have anything anyway. Might as well give 10% of what we don't have. He said, we started doing that, and now we're, we're, we're so blessed. And I said, I know, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Like, that just doesn't, and he goes, no, it makes all the sense in the world to put Jesus first, and then he takes care of you. And I went, yeah, yes, you're right. <laughs> that does make sense. Um, when we put Jesus first in our lives, there's these two promises. One, you don't have to worry. Matthew 6. I mean, finances, they're the number one reason for divorce. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to worry. When you, and then he says this, and all the other things, maybe not all the things you want in life, um, but all the things you need will be added to you. Um, this is the, the, the normal life of a Christ follower, is we put Jesus first. Okay, so I, I want to challenge us today with joy to be like the wise men who just say, Lord, what, what would you have me bring? And I want to bring it to you. And just let me tell you, I'm not going to go back through and check. Every, you know, we're not going to check. We're not going to hunt you down. Uh, no, this, this, is, this is your act of worship, putting Jesus first. And, and he says, you can't outgive me. Right? He takes care of his kids. All right? So let's do this. We're going to spend a moment. A lot of you have already done this. If you've been with us, you've probably already done this. You've waited on, on the Lord and said, what do we bring? He, the scripture says that obedience is better than sacrifice. And so for Steph and I, every year, it comes to Christmas, we, we spend time waiting on God, and we, we just want to respond to him through faith. And he's been exceedingly good to us year after year. We're so thankful for that. So we're going to just take a moment. Stephen's going to play some soft waiting on the Lord music.